everyone, I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, and welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, a special 2020 edition. This series, I'll be speaking with leading consultants, educators, and academics who are passionate about positive education to learn from them about their experiences and journeys in creating flourishing students, educators, and whole school communities. Join me as we learn from these inspiring individuals. Today, I'm speaking with Daniela Falecki. Daniela is the founder of Teacher Wellbeing. She's known as the Keep It Real teacher, specialising in positive psychology and coaching psychology, with more than 20 years' experience in government and independent schools in Australia. Daniela holds a Master's in Education, a Bachelor of Education, a Certificate in Rudolf Steiner Education, She's a licensed mental toughness practitioner and a member of the International Coach Federation and International Positive Psychology Association. Daniela has lectured at Sydney University and Western Sydney University, where she was named Lecturer of the Year in 2014. Daniela's flourishing fact is that she does reformer Pilates four times a week. After having done yoga for 15 years, she's recently found reformer Pilates and she's loving it. She's also a mindful photographer and she loves taking photos of nature. Welcome, Daniela. How are you today? Hi, Susie. Lovely to be here. <laughs> That's so great that you could join us. And of course, we're old friends, really, aren't we? <laughs> we are indeed. So, um, and I'm not quite sure how far we go back. I know with a lot of the other guests I've had on, we've had similar long histories. And I guess that's why you're actually on the Pioneers of Positive yes. Education podcast, Daniela. So yeah. um, perhaps let's do a little bit of positive reminiscing. And um, if you can share with me and the audience, like what has been your journey to today? <laughs> now, you said we've only got a short time, so I'm going to try and give the abridged version. <laughs> basically, um, I was a teacher for 20 years working in government and independent schools in New South Wales. And pretty much in that time, I felt like I was never enough. The job was endless. I think like a lot of teachers at times feeling undervalued and underappreciated. So I decided to leave teaching. I thought there's got to be something better out there. And so through my own journey of finding meaning and purpose of what I wanted to be doing, I realized that I actually was a, a born teacher and I love teaching. And I also found that there were things that I could do to think better, to feel differently and also to act in more positive ways. And so in that time of moving from teaching to then um, consulting, lecturing, outdoor education, Steiner education, number of other different things, I've put all these different resources together and all these learnings in my own company called Teacher Wellbeing. And so for many years now, running around Usually, usually running around Australia, running PD in schools, pretty much sharing practical and for me very realistic ways for teachers to develop their psychological capacity and social and emotional competence, which includes developing tools and resources for to really develop teachers' well-being literacy. And so we talk about numeracy and literacy, but we're really looking at well-being literacy, and then of course reflective skills and mentoring skills for teachers. So that's pretty much the space that I been working in and try and work in and but I suppose the biggest part that people tend to call me or name me is the keep it real teacher because being a teacher myself often we think that well-being is something I do in the holidays or well-being is something I do when I leave the teach day but it's how do we actually build in well-being literacy and how do we actually support ourselves during the teaching day so that's what I pretty much specialize in now. 
Yeah, and Daniela, I can certainly attest to you being a, a born teacher and a keep it real <laughs> teacher. And uh, we've had the, well, I absolutely see it as a privilege of working with you for, I don't know, over how many years now, close to 10 yeah, many. probably. Yeah, absolutely. And having actually facilitated, co-facilitated many workshops, full day workshops, even over three days together and yes. um, with some of our other colleagues. And I think it's been a beautiful blending, a marriage, one might say, between yeah, I agree. E- education and psychology. And um, I know that, you know, we've discussed William James, who was the founding father of uh, modern day psychology, who actually in the early, I think it was 1920s, did a series of talks called Talks to Teachers. And he spoke about the blending of psychology and education and how important he thought it was. And I think that's what uh, we've been able to do in the work that we've done collectively together. Definitely. It's been a wonderful journey you know, learning, it's been uh, very reciprocal in both ways. And I think what's also wonderful as well is that a lot of professional development for teachers typically is done on curriculum, assessment, reporting, and, you know, let's not forget first aid. I think, my gosh, if I do one more first aid training, I'm going to put an EpiPen in my own eye. Um, I know it's necessary, but still. Um, So I think what teachers love also is, you know, we love hearing about ourselves, learning about ourselves. And um, I think teachers love having a, a moment to actually reflect on their own well-being as opposed to always talking about others. It doesn't mean we don't care about others. It doesn't mean it's not necessary. But having that, you know, a few moments to actually reflect and say, well, who am I? How do I be? And what do I need right now so I can be my best self to others? Absolutely. And I know when uh, I first ran my very first POSED program, which was at Knox Grammar back in 2010, and the content that we were presenting much to my surprise, the feedback was that we've never had this sort of content ever yes. in our in yes. our whole, you know, whether it's pre-service teaching or through our professional development, we've never had that. And that continued to occur. And I think now we're starting to see teachers are coming across more of this material and, and are keen to learn more. Mm. But it's really obvious, Daniela, that you had an intrinsic interest in psychology for yourself, absolutely as an educator, but it's made a big difference on your own life personally as well as professionally? Oh, absolutely. It's part of my personal journey. My background is as a, um, a PE teacher. And so for 20 years, I was teaching personal development in schools. I was a year advisor for 15 years. Obviously not the same students, they, they <laughs> rotated through, but um, my passion's always been in that welfare space, wellbeing space. So it's I feel like it's a lifelong journey of mine anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, on the flip side for me, I've learned a lot from you and I guess from education and pedagogy around the actual art and science of of teaching, of educating, Mm. which as psychologists, we didn't really learn a lot about. So again, it's just been a really wonderful blend to work with you. And of course, we were also able to create the Growing Mentally Tough Teens curriculum. And that's something that we continue to work on and uh, would encourage the audience to go to our website and check out the curriculum that Daniela did, created largely from her background as an educator with the input around mental toughness um, being a a very discreet psychological construct. Wonderful. And so, Daniela, tell me a little bit now about that the work that you do, teacher wellbeing does in schools or in education. Yeah, sure. So the one thing I think that's really important to uh, sort of think about when we start talking about teacher wellbeing is to recognise and acknowledge that wellbeing is complex and it's multidimensional. Now, in schools, we often talk about well-being and we think we're going to solve all these issues in a 30-minute meeting that we have (laughs) or a one-day staff development 
or worse, the one-off staff barbecue and we put a tick <laughs> and say, yes, we've done well-being. And I think, wow. We wouldn't do a one-day pizza day for students in year nine and say, yes, we've done student well-being. So why is that acceptable for staff? And just as um, we put time and effort into student well-being, we really need to put time and effort into staff well-being. And we know from the work of John Hattie that staff well-being directly impacts student engagement. We also know from the work of Sue Roffey that our students, for our students to be well, our staff need to be well. And this, for me, is where POSSITE comes in. So it really gives us the evidence-based tools and strategies to support human well-being, people well-being. Now, if we're going to really focus on developing student well-being, then those same initiatives need to be contextually tweaked a little bit to then be relevant for staff well-being. So it's working out what's relevant and contextual because a lot of things that I see also, they see these amazing schools doing some incredible things with student well-being, but then when I talk to them about, well, what are you doing for staff? And they say, oh, no, we haven't done that yet. And I'm like, well, it's, you've sort of done it. You've put the cart before the horse in mm, that case. That's right. And we know that, you know, staff need to live it before they can actually um, teach it. But one of the things I wanted to share with you, Susie, if mm -hmm. that was all right, is Absolutely. I've been working on this roadmap for teacher wellbeing because obviously, you know, 2020 has been certainly a crazy time and um, we've all been super busy or we've been super quiet in terms of me running professional development in schools. And um, it's given me a bit more time to sort of sit back and reflect. But then also teachers and schools, are, I'm getting, you know, emails and phone calls daily of where do we start and how do I begin and what do I do and I'm the wellbeing coordinator. And <laughs> I don't know if you experience this too, Susie, but often the wellbeing coordinator is the most stressed person in the school <laughs> because everyone's coming to them um, saying, how are you going to fix my wellbeing? And um, the first thing I say to wellbeing coordinator is that it's not your job to fix anybody because wellbeing is contextual and dimensional. So nothing's broken. It's just about a matter of how can we be a bit more strategic and supportive. So I say, you know, your job is to be more strategic in leading wellbeing. And I've, I've created a bit of a roadmap. And I, the reason I say roadmap is because it's really about navigating wellbeing. And there's going to be obstacles. There's no one way. It's not a blueprint it's really just a, a fluid way. And you know, it begins with five E's. So the first one is to explain. And this is where, so step one in the roadmap is explain. Mm. And this is where providing quality PD to actually explain the science, the research, the complexities. So we're looking at either twilight sessions, online training, and it's sequential. Usually I'm running three or four PDs in a school over a two-year period. So the first one is explain what wellbeing actually is. Yeah, because you don't know what you don't know. That's what we've discovered. Totally, that's right. And, yeah. and often I will go into a school and people, are, you know, I'll typically run a twilight session in government school. Most of my work's in government schools, actually. Yeah. And um, I'll come in, staff will come in at 3.30 in the afternoon ready for their um, twilight session. And they'll often say, oh, where's the massage table and the yoga mats? And I say, wrong session. <laughs> And they've got this idea of what they think well-being is. That's right. And I'm like, no, that's not what we're talking about. Um, so step two is then once you've done the PD, we know that one-off stuff doesn't work. So we step two is experience. And so staff need opportunities to live well-being strategies. And it might mean five minutes in every staff meeting. It will be well-being hubs in the staff room. It'll be conversations where we, we actually, what I provide is a well-being toolbox of activities that well-being coordinators can embed or drip feed throughout the term to try and continue those wellbeing conversations. So step two is explain. 
Then step three is evaluate. So once you've done that for one or two terms, it's then using the wellbeing team to evaluate what's working and what needs improving. So this is where we might come in and conduct a appreciative inquiry summit to say, well, what's happening for your context? And Daniel, after what period of time would you recommend evaluating? It depends where schools are at. And as we know, every school is at a different place. Yep. And of course, schools are juggling so many different priorities as well. Everything's mapped back to the leadership plan or the school management plan. And so it's a matter of fitting into whatever's happening and aligning with all of those different things together. So more often than not, I would say the evaluation part might happen in that six-month to 12-month period after the initial Great. staff development. But then step four, we've got embed. And um, embedding is about looking for ways to actually embed wellbeing practices and policies within policies and process. So what I mean by that is I know some schools say that when it's reporting time, they have no staff. So when there's school reports need to be written, there's no staff meetings. On a Friday, they'll have a rule that the gates close at 3.30 in the afternoon, you can't stay back at school. There'll be other different, they might have a wellbeing week in term to week five and, you know, there's coffee carts and there's random act of kindness and there's all these different things that are just being embedded through. And then step five, of course, is the evolve. And evolve means because it's a roadmap, we start the process again and we deepen learning. So we, we go back into, well, let's explain, experience, evaluate and embed again. What can we do better? What organisations can we join? So you've got PISA, IPEN, so many amazing networking opportunities available. And so because we know that all journeys need a roadmap. So here we've got basically the five E's to try and explain, well, where do I go? How do I do it? Understanding that there is no quick fix. And I think that's something we often hear, isn't it, Susie? With Absolutely. And you're aware that we have our own sort of posed checklist that it's evolving as we speak right now, actually. Yeah. And often when we send it to a school that's interested in commencing the journey, as you, as you say, they'll have this great sense of feeling overwhelmed that there's, oh, yes. I didn't realise there was so much to do and that it was going to take so long. And I guess, you know, that is um, often the answer is that it it is that commitment and appreciation that this is a journey and that there will be obstacles and that um, if you do want it to truly be lived and sustained, then there are a lot of, you know, working parts to that and um, moving parts to that that take quite a bit of time. Absolutely. And it really is a collective journey. We know that collective teacher efficacy is the number one impact on student outcomes. And so this is where, again, one of the biggest challenges or obstacles I see is the wellbeing coordinator so passionate and going to these amazing conferences or doing this reading and research and they develop this teacher wellbeing or even a student wellbeing program, but nobody teaches it <laughs> because there's not, no one else is invested in it. And so it leaves coordinators feeling quite deflated. So this whole school strategic approach supported with professional quality professional development, coaching the wellbeing coordinator, consulting through the AI process and so on, it really provides a more strategic and worthwhile experience. Look, I guess we're quite privileged a lot of the time where it is the leadership, the principal, the senior leadership that are reaching out and have already done their due diligence, if you like. They've spoken to yeah. other schools and they've decided that this is the path they want to take and there's a commitment to it. But I also, like you 
Daniela, have met lots of individual, whether it's the school counsellor or, you know, the wellbeing coordinator that have approached us and said, I really love this stuff. I want to get it going, but nobody seems to know what I'm talking about. And what advice would you give for that sort of sole person out there that's really struggling with trying to build a bit of a business case, if you like? Yeah. So the first part is to find like-minded people. So you know, IPEN, PISA, those organisations. I know that IPEN's got some great resources on their website. There's always conferences happening and so on. So that's the first place. Great. The second place to find your team of champions um, at school. There will be some people at school that are also highly excited. So find those like-minded people. And I hate to use the word committee, but you might want to just have your little, I like to call it a staff wellbeing hub. And so as uh, you want to find your high energizers as well. And so I encourage those people to then say, okay, find a space in the staff room that you can create this staff wellbeing space. And it might be with a beanbag. It'll be with wellbeing journals. It'll be maybe put up a wellbeing board where you can just put little notices or notifications. Or one of the things that I see get very excited about when I walk into schools that I've been working with is going to see the staff wellbeing boards and we'll see you know, chat box questions, which are wellbeing conversation starters up on the board and they rotate once a week or connect box cards questions that we've got that I've developed as well, which, you know, just crazy little things of, you know, who would you invite to dinner if you could invite anybody or if you could write yourself a merit certificate, what would it say? Or if you were going to write a report card on another colleague, what would you say in that report card? And it's just funny little conversation starters to get us thinking like learners because teachers are learners as well. So it's creating a a vibe, drip-feeding little activities that, of course, are evidence-based and then really supporting yourself with positive surrounding influences. Fantastic. And you've got some great resources, Daniela, that you've created and people can access them directly from your website, teacherwellbeing.com.au. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, teacher-wellbeing.com.au. And the reason I created those is really out of the need, like I said before, the one-off staff PD and people are like, oh, this is fantastic, what next? And I was like, well, it's not about me. I'm here to try and initiate the process for you and really build staff buy-in. You know, I work, often I'll go into a school and I'll have the leader say, look, we've got our five percenters. And I go, that's okay, they're in every school. And (laughs) And it's really about getting the staff on board. Because generally, the biggest thing with teachers' hesitance with new programs is we're tired. It can't have one more thing added to my list. I just do not have the capacity for it. So helping people understand that this is not something to add to your list. This is something to help you from the inside out, not the outside in. It's actually to give to you. It's to fill your own cup. And when you help people understand that, then all of a sudden everyone softens a little bit. Once people soften, then you can start adding these little drip-feeding activities. And that's why I created all the resources, to just continue the conversation, let it bubble from the inside so that when the wellbeing team can come to embed, evaluate and evolve and what have you, you've already got your positive energizers already. And in terms of your roadmap, how can people access that? Are you intending to publish that either in a, a, an article, a chapter or a book? Funny you say that, Susie. I am actually. I've been working on this book for about six months now and I'm writing it in conjunction with an online program that I'm calling that's you know, helping teachers thrive. So the roadmap is the five E's that I've just mentioned before and then that's going to basically be a road, yeah, roadmap which will include 
strategies for helping teachers thrive and the roadmap is pretty much the chapter headings hopefully be written by the end of this year fantastic well we can't wait for that and we'll certainly give that a plug once it's out to daniela thank you and i know you've also recently co-authored a, a book chapter yes can you tell us a little bit about that yeah so that's a, it's open source which is fantastic which means it's freely available it's a routledge book chapter and it's called cultivating teacher resilience published only last month and um, it's edited by Professor Caroline Mansfield from she's the Dean of Education at Dr. Darby University. And um, I've written a chapter in there, chapter 11, and it's on um, uh, practical ways to embed teacher wellbeing within schools. And I've written that with Lizzie Mann from South Australia as well. And again, really focusing on developing teacher psychological capital, if you like, and really building on the research of hope. So how do we develop hope? efficacy, which comes to be Bandura, and then also collective efficacy, then Anne Maston's work on resilience, and then obviously Martin Seligman's work on optimism, and together that forms hero. So it's really about how do we develop our inner hero and our collective hero of teachers, because the research tells us, and my mantra uh, repeatedly is student wellbeing begins with teacher wellbeing. And so that chapter we can access through ResearchGate or Academia or is it on your website as Yes, well? it's on the website. Great. It's on the website, so teacher-wellbeing.com.au and also there, of course, is good old Google search. <laughs> Fantastic. And I will also give a plug for a new textbook coming out authored by Peggy Kern and another editor whose name escapes me at the moment on positive education, the Palgrave Handbook of Positive Education. I had the wonderful opportunity to interview Peggy uh, recently as well. And of course, Daniela, yourself and myself and our colleague Clive Leach, who will oh, also yes. be on this podcast, we did a, a chapter we on um, Pathways. Pathways. So we're looking at um, growth mindset, mental toughness, coaching, social and emotional competence and um, character strength. So how all these different modes of positive education can be embedded collectively as well. Instead of doing, you know, just your, your little parts. Some, school, yeah, some schools pick one part of it, but we want to actually make it more holistic and strategic. Absolutely. So, Daniela, what has been your greatest learning or learning so far when it comes to creating flourishing student, staff or whole school communities? The biggest learning for me is really listening, giving teachers a voice. So that's the first part is really hearing. The second part is really developing that whole wellbeing literacy. So one of the things that I think teachers are really good at is reflecting on their pedagogy, so reflecting on their practice. But because of our strong negativity bias and because of the way that we tend to be trained in teacher education, which is a deficit mindset, so we're looking for what's missing as opposed to what's there traditionally, we tend to be quite harsh and we're very hard on ourselves. The self-critic is very loud and we're very harsh with each other. And this is where Excuse my French, but we tend to be a bit of a smart ass at times. <laughs> I know you're shocked, surprised. And so, with that, one of the biggest learnings for me is around perspective and just noticing the good stuff and tracking the good stuff. And often, when I say that to teachers, they'll roll their eyes and go, Oh, yeah, whatever. And I think, No, you, you no, this stuff works. It does work. It yeah. really works. And cynicism can be quite high at times. And the reason cynicism is high is because they're tired. We're over it. We're, we're done. And that's totally understandable. The job is tough. I mean, teaching is one of the most stressed professions in the world. But there are things we can do. And I think for me, perspective, tracking the good stuff, noticing what's working well has really been really helpful for me personally. But I also see the magic 
in that with staff. So when I go back and run my third or fourth twilight session, I'm really hearing the psychological safety is amazing. The vulnerability that people share in the, in a common space has completely shifted to one of openness and receptiveness as opposed to my first twilight session when everyone's a smart ass, we're putting each other down, ha-ha, you're an idiot, but jokingly. And when we say actually, you know, we go through all these different strategies and by the time we have the third or fourth twilight session, people are actually having real conversations. We're still laughing, we're still bantering, but we're allowing that softness to come in. And what do you think that is due to, Daniela? Is it because potentially in that first session they do start to see? I mean, I know that you and I are both uh, strong proponents of the, you know, scientific approach and and bringing in the science to support it, but they start to see the impact that this can have ultimately on the students who they care so much about or their own families and friends. Do you think that's it? I do. I think that's definitely part of it. I think the other part of it is they start, when you reflect differently you feel better Mm. and the biggest missing piece for me in teacher well-being so we talk about you know the two lenses of well-being or two ways to well-being so you've got hedonic well-being which is feel good and then eudaimonic well-being which is do good or you know feel well function well one of the parts that I tend to focus a lot on is we talk about the feel good but feel good is subjective and the area that I focus on is the eudaimonic well-being is the do good so why are you so tired and what are you contributing? And what is the impact that you're actually having? Is it a positive impact? Do people want to be around you? What impact are you actually having on the students when you're tired and cranky versus you're rested and restored? And so it's really noticing the impact that we have. And when I notice what I'm doing and I stop for long, teachers don't get time to reflect. And so it really is an opportunity to reflect. And when we have a moment to reflect and we ask ourselves a high-quality question, then all of a sudden we become more empowered because I realise what I'm doing and I realise that my thoughts, my feelings and my actions are actually there in front of me but no one's asked me a question for me to actually reflect in that way before. And so it's a really powerful experience. Of course, you and I are also both strong uh, supporters of taking an evidence-based coaching approach, and I know that you weave that into your work too, Daniela, which gives people the opportunity for that reflective space, as you said, and it doesn't necessarily have to be engaging an external professional coach, but it could be simpler setting up some peer coaching scenarios. Is that your approach? Oh, absolutely. So I'm, I'm big on frameworks. Again, it's about keep it real, keep it simple, keep it practical. So we're looking at solution-focused frameworks. So obviously, you know, you've got the GROW model. We also use the 4C mental toughness model that you've mentioned before as how do I reflect on the change process? How can I use this framework to help me plan something that I've got coming up next week that's going to be potentially challenging? One of the big things also that I love is when I go back into schools, again, the big thing people say is they really love the wellbeing buddy. So this is one of the Mm. strategies that I work with a lot. And we set it up in the first session and it's, this is your wellbeing buddy. And then we drip feed all these different activities and these conversations. And um, so the coaching questions really give people an opportunity to have productive conversations. And there might be a 10-minute conversation. And often teachers will say, oh, we don't, this is great, but we don't have time. Haven't got time. And so we've got time to have a 20-minute whinge. Why don't you have a 10-minute productive conversation? <laughs> Love that. <laughs> so it's just picking The venting conversation is important but it's not the conversation to have all the time. We need to have the strategic conversation as well. And as we know, 
Professor Michael Kavanagh says, the quality of our conversations determine the quality of our relationships, the quality of our relationships determine the quality of our organisations. And essentially, the conversations that we have determine the quality of our organisations and that's what we're trying to do. Well, that's what I'm trying to do with Teaching Wellbeing is help people have better conversations for themselves so they can feel better, they can do better and have that ripple effect through the entire organisation. We're quickly running out of time and there's so many questions I could ask you. Is there one story that might highlight the impact of of the approach that you take uh, with schools? Not so much one story. I think I'm a teacher, so no longer am I working with Year 9, thank goodness, but I am working with staff. And so I love going into schools on a regular basis, working with my, my leaders, and I will pass it through the corridor and people will go out of their way to say hello I hear the buzz, I hear the energy, and it's the well-being conversations. It's the, the mm. little that we talk about sunset moments and people say, oh, I found sunset moments today or I had a bit of dirt today but I found my specks of gold today. So it's building that well-being literacy with character strength. So when I hear the language of my students, which are the teachers, and that to me is the greatest gift I can ever have. That's so true, isn't it? And that's a powerful part of creating the positive workplace culture as well. Yes. So, Daniela, again, would love to keep chatting, but unfortunately <laughs> time doesn't allow that. So if there were a, a book or perhaps a podcast or an article uh, for someone that wants to learn a little bit more about perhaps specifically teacher wellbeing and beyond what we've already spoken about today, what's your go-to or what would you recommend? So um, the first place on my website, I've got a list of websites. I've got a list of books. I've got a teacher wellbeing book list that you can access for free. I've got lots of other free stuff available there. Often I'll go into schools and I'll see posters around. I went into the bathroom the other day of a school and I saw my, my poster in there and I thought, oh, that's pretty funny. I, I think I've made it. I think I've made it. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so that's one place. But the, if you've got one book specifically related to teacher wellbeing, it's First Day for Teacher Burnout by Jenny Rankin. Fantastic, practical, easy book, um, which is wonderful. But my favourite podcast to this, like I listen to so many podcasts and yeah. I love all of them. But my go-to one when I want something simple, practical and evidence-based really is Michelle McQuaid. Yeah, we love Michelle's podcast. It's just fantastic. And um, the work that she does, the podcast and the people she has, it's workplace-specific. Um, and like I said, it's practical. And I can always listen to one of those and take away something that I think, yep, I'm going to bring that into the next book or the next conversation that I have. Definitely one of our favourite. And uh, we're going to post uh, everything on the uh, Facebook page uh, that you've mentioned today, Daniela, including some of your wonderful work. Thank you so much for the work that you do. You're a shining star, Daniela, (laughs) in in the crown of positive education and uh, definitely a positive energiser that has such a positive impact on so many people, Daniela. So thank you so much and look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks for the opportunity, Susie. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series three, special edition 2020. If you're enjoying the series and you're a school leader who wants to take a strategic and sustainable approach to positive education in your school, contact us at info at thepositivityinstitute.com.au to find out more information about our Pioneers of Positive Education Mastermind Group, which we'll be launching in 2021. In the meantime, you might like to check out my new podcast, The Positivity Prescription, available on iTunes and Spotify. 
And don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.